0: Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to read for us from verse 14, 2 Timothy 3 from verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you've learnt and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you learnt it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Friends, let me pray for us. Now, Father, we do thank you that your word is living and active and trustworthy, uh, just as you are living and active and trustworthy. And, Father, we pray that uh, by your grace, through your spirit, none of us would leave this place unchanged through our encounter with you this morning. This we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Friends, are there parts of scripture that you sometimes wish just weren't there, Uh, verses that you find really hard to believe, Uh, passages that challenge uh, bad habits, that confront you and confront your status quo and make you feel uncomfortable? Uncomfortable. Uh, In 1803, the third president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson, he took some time out of his uh, busy schedule to finish off a project that had been on his to-do list for quite some time, a cut-and-paste job on the Bible, the Gospels in particular. Quite literally, in his case, a cut-and-paste job. Cutting out the bits of the Jesus story that he found really hard to believe and rearranging and repackaging what was left over. He introduced it like this. I've made a wee little book from the Gospels, which I call the philosophy of Jesus, by cutting the texts out of the book and arranging them on the pages of a blank book in a certain order of time or subject. In other words, he was trying to impose some, uh, uh, some content, not to mention chronological discipline, on these unruly scriptures. He went on, a more beautiful or precious morsel of ethics I have never seen. It's a document in proof that I am a real Christian. That is to say, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus. And by doctrines, he means stuff that he reckons Jesus really said and really did. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, for example. Uh, not the what he's supposed to be the supernatural add-ons that Jesus' star-struck followers added later on. And so Jesus' miracles don't make the cut in Jefferson's Bible. His resurrection doesn't either. Jesus dies and that's the end of the story. His Bible ends, uh, Jefferson's Bible ends on a bit of a downer. Quote, there they laid Jesus and rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulchre and departed... And that's it. That's where it ends. One verse that definitely didn't make the cut, so to speak, in Jefferson's Bible was 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, our text for this morning. All scripture is God-breathed, or as we'll see, perhaps better, breathed out by God. Three words in Greek, the original language the Bible was written in, the New Testament was written in, Uh, but three words that are loaded with freight, with meaning. Let's have a look at each of these words. Firstly, all scripture, this word scripture. Friends, as Christians, ours is a a literary religion. In the garden, our first parents saw God. If we lived 2,000 years ago in Palestine, we might have seen God incarnate but by and large, throughout salvation history, we encounter God through his word, all scripture. And by scripture, Paul, in 2 Timothy, has primarily, but not exclusively, got in mind the, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. This word scripture, it comes up uh, a lot of times in the New Testament, over 50 times in the New Testament, and the vast majority are referring back to the Hebrew Bible, back to the Old Testament. But not just the Old Testament. There are a few places in what we call the New Testament where the human author lets on that the, the canon isn't closed, at, at least not then. That God wasn't done speaking through his word. Let me give you a couple of examples. In First Timothy 5.18 where Paul says, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Clearly a reference back to Deuteronomy 25. But then the verse goes on, the labourer deserves his wages. And the remarkable thing about the second half of that verse is that this interpretation of Deuteronomy, the labourer deserves his wages, actually comes from Luke's gospel. They're Jesus' words recorded by Luke where Jesus applies Old Testament scripture for us. And remarkably, Paul describes Luke's words, Jesus' words, as scripture. For those with ears to hear, this subtle recognition embedded within Luke's gospel that the Old Testament didn't have a monopoly on scripture. We see another example in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter 3, where Peter writes in verse 16, describing Paul's letters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable uh, uh, twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. Those last words being operative, the other scriptures. Even at this early stage, Peter being willing to baptise Paul's letters with the title, Scripture. And in the process, alerting us to the way the early church saw Paul's letters as uniquely authoritative, on par with the Old Testament. Now, not that everything that Paul wrote was inspired. Uh, I suppose if he were to write to-do lists or shopping lists, it's not as though they were God-breathed. In other words, notice the focus isn't so much on the human author being inspired, it's all scripture that is God-breathed. And not simply that they are inspired by God as much as they are breathed out by God, spirated by God. That seems to be the gist of the unusual word that Paul is using here, it's an unusual word, a unique word even, possibly a compound word that Paul has made up just for the occasion. It actually doesn't crop up anywhere else in the Bible, let alone in contemporary literature. This word breathed out, spirated by God. It's Paul's way of stressing the divine source of scripture. Scripture just as God breathed life into Adam in Genesis 2 he breathes out his word and their divine origin is precisely the reason they're so powerful and authoritative the words that he breathes out they carry his authority divine author divine authority and not just some scripture did you notice it's all scripture The third of these loaded words that Paul uses, all scripture is breathed out by God. For us living on this side of Jesus' first coming, not not one testament but both, Uh, not just the red letters but all the letters, not just the verses we like but all of the verses and because scripture is breathed out by God, all of it, all of it is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All of it is God's gift for showing us the way to God and the way to godliness. And so we might say to Thomas Jefferson, uh, drop the scissors and walk away from the Bible, Mr. President. All scripture is breathed out by God. You know, friends, it's, it's tempting to be quite critical of someone like Thomas Jefferson at this point, uh, someone who's claiming to be a Christian, but his convictions about God, uh, about God's word, so clearly at odds. Uh, it's, it's tempting, isn't it, to look down on his view of the Bible. Uh, some scripture is God-breathed and useful, in effect, and... Uh, and I'll be the one who decides which parts are and which parts aren't. Thanks very much. So, especially for those who identify as evangelicals this morning, uh, it's tempting to stand in pretty sure footed judgment on a guy like Thomas Jefferson. After all, aren't evangelicals the theological descendants of the Reformation? Isn't sola scriptura, the Bible alone, That's our rallying cry, right? If there's one thing that evangelicals are sure of, it's that all scripture is breathed out by God. When it comes to Jefferson's view of scripture, it could be tempting for an evangelical to imagine that compared to him, we've got our acts together. And yet, and yet, and here comes the plot twist. Here's the thing. Jefferson's wasn't the only cut-and-paste job uh, on the Bible uh, that was published during the first decade of the 19th century. Fun fact. Just five years later, in 1808, another skinny Bible appeared, this one a little more expansive than Jefferson's, but still very selective. Its title? Parts of the Holy Bible Selected for the Use of the Negro slaves in the British West India Islands. Or, as it's more commonly known today, the Slave Bible. Only three copies remain today. Visit the Museum of the Bible in Washington DC and there's an exhibit devoted to it. Now, who, you ask, was responsible for producing the Slave Bible? Uh, Was it a deist like Thomas Jefferson, the sitting president, well, no, wasn't a deist. Was it a theological liberal who produced it? Nope, wasn't a theological liberal either. Who then? Who was responsible for producing the slave Bible? Well, friends, of all people, it was mission minded evangelicals, members of a brand new mission agency called the Society for the Conversion and Religious Instruction and Education of Negro Slaves. Their founder was the Bishop of London, a guy called Bealby Porteus, an evangelical no less. Uh, Not all bishops back then, let alone now, were friendly to the gospel, let alone to mission. But it seems like Bishop Porteus was genuinely converted. He was good friends with abolitionists like William Wilberforce not just committed to evangelism but committed to seeing the gospel transform society now from everything we know portius was sincerely invested in the spiritual plight of the slaves and so he commissioned a bunch of short-term missionaries to visit plantations in the caribbean the aim being to put the word of god into slaves hands or at least should i say some of the bible in the slaves' hands. Ask Porteus if he believed in 2 Timothy 3.16, is all scripture breathed out by God? And I suspect he would have said, of course it is. What a silly question. And yet, the Bibles they took with them on their missionary endeavours were slimline editions, we might say. Whole books of scripture were disappeared. And where books remained, they were often drastically pared down. It was the truth, it just wasn't the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Quote, prepare a short form of public prayers for them, instructed the bishop, together with select portions of scripture, particularly those which relate to the duties of slaves towards their masters. These evangelical missionaries had two goals, First, pray that these slaves would read the Bible and be saved, but second, that these slaves would read and obey their British masters. The last thing slave owners wanted was a repeat of the slave uprising that had happened in Haiti just a few years before. Sure, come and do your evangelism thing, but make sure you bring sanitised Bibles first. And so you can just imagine the things that got cut. Any passage, any book of the Bible that described God as a liberating God, it had to go. It didn't make the cut. So the slave Bible goes from Genesis 45 and Joseph making the best of his enslaved situation and it skips straight to Exodus 19. The Ten Commandments in chapter 20, they stay, but Israel's escape from Pharaoh's clutches, that gets cut. If you come over to the New Testament... Galatians chapter 3 is there, just not verse 28. What does verse 28 say? There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's not there, that verse is not there. All scripture might be God-breathed in theory, but only some of it is profitable in Jamaica, circa 1808 other verses get the nod. 1 Peter chapter two eighteen, slaves be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle but also to the unjust, that definitely stays. So does Ephesians 6, 5, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Amazingly, given all the verses that got culled, the whole books of the Bible. Can you guess one of the verses that did remain? And that without irony, it seems, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God. Jefferson's Bible, the slave Bible, Uh, different editors, different motives, uh, both wielded scissors, literally, figuratively. And it begs the question, when it comes to our passage this morning, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, what can we learn from those who have gone before us? Maybe one thing we can learn at the very least is that it's, uh, it's one thing to preach sola scriptura, to say amen to the Bible alone. It's one thing to talk the talk of all scripture is breathed out by God, but it is surely another thing to walk it. Saying sola scriptura Saying the Bible alone, that's easy. Living it is hard. Now we mightn't be so crass, physically cutting bits out of the Bible that we don't like, deliberately omitting parts that we find too hard to live out, parts we don't think will go down well with those that we're speaking with. But surely, if we are honest with ourselves, we're not so very different from them, are we? Their temptation is our temptation. Friends, I wonder if there isn't a Bishop Porteous lurking in each and every one of us. That apart from God's kindness, you and I are on that boat to the West Indies as well, armed with missionary zeal, but bringing a, a beleaguered Bible to a beleaguered society. I wonder if there isn't a, Thomas Jefferson lurking in every one of us as well, presenting a a selective Jesus, a Jesus that, that is more palatable to a world that finds him very hard to swallow. Friends, God's word for us this morning is this, that all scripture is breathed out by God and it is useful no matter what season of life we might find ourselves in this morning. Friends, what season of life do you find yourself in this morning? Uh, Maybe with um, all of the upheaval, all the things that have gone on the last couple of years. Uh, All things considered, you're uh, you're sailing along in life. Uh, You you can't get enough of Zoom. You're a Zoom junkie. Uh, God's blessed you with uh, an income that's uh, proven to be epidemic proof. There's a gentle breeze behind you, blue sky above Calm waters below. Friends, if this is you, remember that all scripture is breathed out by God. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1. For everything, there's a season. Well, maybe for you this morning, life's less plain sailing and more high seas and, uh, and gale force winds. Economically, psychologically, spiritually, you've been tossed to and fro. Wondering if the next wave is the one that's going to overwhelm you, swamp you, sink you. Friends, remember, all scripture is breathed out by God. Ecclesiastes 3.1, for everything there's a season. And Romans 8.28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Or maybe you're struggling with a besetting sin this morning. A sin that just, you can't, you can't overcome. You keep doing what you don't want to do. And you're wondering if God's willing or able to forgive you yet again. Maybe you're tempted to think, surely I've exhausted God's willingness to forgive me. Friends, remember, all scripture is breathed out by God. Psalm 103 verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Or maybe to all intents and purposes, you've given up struggling with a particular sin. You've stopped hating your sin as much as you once did. It's just who I am, who I'll ever be. And you've started to presume on God's forgiveness. You've started to settle for Cheap grace, is how Bonhoeffer put it. Friends, remember, all scripture is breathed out by God. James 2, verse 14. What good is it if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? Or when it comes to growing in holiness, maybe you're tempted to just let go and let God If God wants to grow me in righteousness and holiness, it'll just happen, right? Friends, remember, all scripture is breathed out by God. Philippians 2, verse 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, maybe you're tempted in the other direction. Less let go and let God and more God is my co-pilot. As though when it comes to growing as a Christian, God's sitting in the passenger seat. He's just along for the ride. Friends, remember, all scripture is God-breathed, breathed breathed out by God. Philippians 2.13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Or maybe you've been uh, knocked for six financially recently. Uh, Maybe you've lost work. Uh, Maybe you're looking but can't find any. Not enough of it, at any rate. Friends, remember, all scripture is breathed out by God. Matthew 6, verse 31, don't be anxious, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these will be added to you. Or maybe you're pretty comfortable at the moment. Friends, what an opportunity then to be generous. Friends, remember that all scripture is breathed out by God. Galatians 6.2, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Friends, I don't know what your particular circumstances are this morning, but I know that God does, and he's given us his word, and all of it, is breathed out by him and all of it is useful. What a comfort this is to know and to embrace. Where else have we to go when God alone has the words of eternal life? Let's pray, shall we? Father, you've said to us in your word that we have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, that we would do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place. Father, give us an insatiable appetite for your word, for all scripture, that we would continually taste and see that you are good. It's in Jesus' name and for his sake that we pray. Amen.